Ever wonder what psychologist moms talk about when we get together? Whether we're consulting one another about a challenging case or one of our own kids, or just leaning on each other when parenting feels hard, because trust me, even when we do this for a living, it's still hard. Joining me each week in these special Thursday shows are two of my closest friends, both moms, both psychologists. They're the people I call when I need a sounding board. These are our unfiltered answers to your parenting questions. We're letting you in on the conversations the three of us usually have behind closed doors. This is Securely Attached, Beyond the Sessions. Hello, welcome, Dr. Rebecca Hertzberg. Glad to have you back. Thank you. Always a pleasure. I'm delighted. Delighted. Um, So let's jump into today's question. So this mom wrote, Loving your podcast. Any suggestions on how to gently ask other people to stop asking your child to perform? Like play the piano for me or show me this, do this, etc. It drives me nuts because I know it puts pressure rather than enjoyment, but I don't know how to nicely say, please stop. So I feel like there's a lot of ways we could approach this question, but I kind of want to kind of kick it off to you, Rebecca, on like what what comes to your mind first when you hear the undertones of this question? Yeah, I mean, I think the 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 words that jumped out at me were the I know. I know it causes pressure rather than enjoyment mm. or however she phrased it, because I again, perhaps I'm wearing my therapist hat, but my question would be, oh, that's so interesting. How how do you know? You know, because I I also want to be like, who made you play the piano when you were four and it traumatized you, right? Like, I feel like this parent, of course, has the best of intentions, but I wonder where that drive to protect comes from and if it's merited. It might be, and we should absolutely address the question as if it is in addition to what I'm saying. But again, what jumped out at me first was I wonder if your child's response to these requests or demands might be different from yours. And there are kids who love performing, you know, and think Mm -hmm. it's exciting and that's how they connect with grandma or that's how that, you know, and I, I would first as always on this podcast kind of want to separate out what is the listener bringing to this question of his or her own stuff and what is actually happening with the child. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. Because I think as you're talking, what's coming to my mind is like both what we as parents can project onto our kids, right? Our own stuff. Like, oh God, I hated it when, you know, my aunt would always make me like, you know, play the piano or or like do something sort of performative. And so I, I'm projecting that experience onto this for my child and assuming that it's just as pressure filled for them as it was for me, for sure a possible way of looking at it. The other thing too, before we just take it at face value, this is pressure. I know I'm attuned to my kid. I can feel their, their sense of anxiety. They, they, they don't want it, but they don't know how to set a boundary. That's very possible and legitimate and, and we'll definitely tackle that angle. But the other thing that I was thinking too is like, what pressure or rule am I kind of holding in my head as a parent that I'm applying to this moment? Because that can also be kind of something we project onto the situation. Not just like, so like I could project my own personal experience onto this, but I also like, I don't know, we, 
I was just recording a different episode where this came up, where we were talking about like perfectionism and like how much we, we, we see these rules out there. And frankly, those rules may be coming from like really vetted resources. Like I know a lot of parenting, like really solid, you know, parenting resources that talk about like, you know, it's, you know, we don't want to make our kids perform and we don't want to put this pressure on them. And it, and it is appropriate to be thinking about that. So I'm glad this mom is writing this question because it's, I'm glad that she even looks at the lens of, well, what's my child's experience of this? Not just let's, you know, dance monkey dance, you know, like, but at the same time, like just for the argument of like being very multi- dimensional in the way we're like thinking about this question. Cause like we don't have this mom to sit here and answer all of our nuanced, you know, follow-up questions. So I'm just kind of trying to like imagine all the possible ways of thinking about this, but I would think to myself, what is the rule that you might be perceiving you're supposed to follow? Like there's a lot of gentle parenting and respectful, responsive parenting strategies that say like, we don't want to make our kids perform. We want it to be organic. We want to give them space and which is totally good. And I think helpful, but again, like, how do you know, can you check in? Can we check in with our kid? Are you feeling pressure? Which kind of is a good segue. It's like, what is an intervention might actually look like in the moment? Like typically if someone is putting, if I think someone's pressuring my kid to do something and I'm not sure if they want to do it, Usually one of my go-to interventions in that moment is to ask my kid in front of the other person, how do you feel about doing this? Right. Or, you know, model for the adult how to check in with my child versus, uh, you know, create a demand. Yeah, no, I think you're spot on about all of that because you're right. What can follow the I know, which is what jumped out at me, is the rule, right? I know, you know, I read 25 articles saying blah, 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 but how do you do it, right? And so what you're saying is the 25 articles, can we view those as things to keep in mind, as possibilities that might be out there that we wouldn't have otherwise thought, but not necessarily as hard and fast rules that we have to follow because, you know, our whole approach to these parenting philosophies is that there's no such thing as one size fits all. And that certainly some kids may feel really pressured and other kids may eat it up. You know, they go to the supermarket and they ask to perform in the, you know, frozen foods aisle for anybody that'll <laughs> buy. So, um, but I think, yeah, checking in with your kid. And, and what I would say about that is that it doesn't have to be so formal, right? It doesn't necessarily have to be like, so how would you like, you know, as you're looking over at your great aunt, you know, so mm -hmm. how would you like to, you know, how do you feel? It can also just be like, what do you say, buddy? You know, you in? Totally. You feel like playing the piano right now or not so much? Not so much. Eh, okay. Maybe later. You know, it, it, it doesn't have to be this teaching moment for your relatives yeah. per se. It can also just be a casual conversation that you bring to include your child as well. Yes. I think that's so important because I do. I think we like, we'll like, we are like, oh, let's not follow more rules by giving more rules. And then they get misinterpreted as like a hard and fast rule. Like, cause there's, it's like, oh, it's like those little Russian nesting dolls. It's like you open one up and there's like 50 more inside, like, ah, which is like the pressure of parenting, right? There are so many rules and we have to figure out, okay, well, how do I navigate which ones I want to keep and which ones I want to 
modify and how do I put it in my own language? And that I think is a, a really good lens is like, how do I say this in a way I really would talk to my kid? Would I necessarily, if it was just me and my kid, be like, how would it make you feel to be playing the piano for your Aunt Sue right now? Like, or would I be like, what do you say? In or out? Right. You know, how do we talk? How just, and maybe that's not how you talk, right? How do you talk to your kid? Your kid needs to, and that's the tricky thing about the scripts is that like, if you don't modify it to put it in the language you actually speak to your child in and the tone of voice and the, the sort of style, the way you talk, your kid is going to hear a script and they're going to be like, why are you talking to me like that? Yeah. Well, and that can cause anxiety. It's like, who are you and what did you do with my mom? You know, like, <laughs> uh, you know, like all I did was ask for another cookie and suddenly there's this weird new person here, you know, because the mom is like trying out some new script. And I think I'm all in favor of, and I think it's very cool to like push our parenting edges and try on new approaches or philosophies or things that might feel slightly uncomfortable at first, but to, to be able to do that still with some authenticity, um, I think is, is what may make or break whether it's effective. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. I also think, you know, and I've seen on your social media recently, and I have it on mine somewhere too, I'm sure, but this idea of just how easy it is to fragilize our kids sometimes with these approaches. Like if you're a parent listening and you at one point made your kid play piano for Uncle Bill and you realize later your kid didn't want to, like your kid's probably fine. You know, like these are not one-offs. Um you know, how I can tell my kid feels pressured and how do I rescue them from that feeling? You know, I think we can absolutely talk about, you know, how to help give our kids the skills to advocate for themselves when they are asked to do something they don't want to and whatever. It's also okay sometimes to say to your kid, I know you don't really feel like playing piano right now. Uncle Bill is visiting from far away and I know would really love it. Is there any chance you could maybe tolerate the discomfort and do it? You know, like it, it, it it's okay sometimes to push our kids in ways or ask, ask our kids if they might push themselves in ways that quote unquote, go against these rules we're talking about. Um, which is another way that I think the nuance gets lost, Mm -hmm. you know, when, when these rules are presented in the way they often are. Yeah. I read my, a really good friend of mine wrote this article recently on, she's a, she owns a Montessori school in Brooklyn. And now I follow her because you posted it. Christine Carrick. Yeah. She's amazing. She's too many choices. (laughs) Too many choices. Right. And like, I'll put a link to her article in the, in the show description. It was really good. Um, but yeah, sometimes we're giving kids too many choices and it's actually counterproductive. And it is, that actually puts a different kind of pressure on them. Like that they, are always the ones who have to make the decisions. And sometimes we're just going to be like, Hey guys, we're going to, we're going to play piano now a couple minutes and then, then you can be done and you can move on to something else. So I think there's something, I think there's a definitely something to be said for also like not feeling as though every single thing we do is good. It, you know, it has the potential to like really like ruin our child's love of an activity or make them feel as though they're, they're like, you know, we're going to steal their intrinsic motivation for something or that we're taking away their autonomy. 
But I also, I think it's helpful to, you know, speak to the other side of this coin, which is, you know, I imagine there are definitely plenty of scenarios where a parent is legitimately sensing a feeling of pressure and discomfort in a child who is being asked to perform for someone. And I don't just mean like perform an instrument, but like perform a socially appropriate, and I'm using quotes, behavior, like give me a hug or, you know, you know, tell me, tell me who your friends are at school now. Like, you know, making them sort of talk and engage with them when they, they don't want to, and they feel kind of uncomfortable. And again, yes, we want to be able to stretch them when we, when it's appropriate, but also sometimes we have to be the person that says, yeah, you know, I don't think they want to do that right now and be that advocate and hold that boundary for them so that our kid can learn to eventually set those boundaries for themselves. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just going to be forthcoming as a mom because, because we're behind beyond the sessions and that's yeah. what we do. And just say that that's actually been, that was a much easier line for me to walk when my kids were younger. Um, I have a hard time now. We just went through this. We went to a family bar mitzvah um, last weekend. And, and one of my kids is almost 10 and didn't at times answer questions like when spoken to. And like, I was kind of like, in my head and I kind of had to, you know, think about this and process it and discuss with my husband, whatever. But like, dude, like, I don't care whether you want to answer aunt so-and-so like she's asking you how school's going. Like figure, I mean, I didn't say this out loud, but like I found Mm -hmm. myself much less sympathetic. And so I do want to just bring in that developmental piece. I don't of course have the answer per se, but just to, to say that it gets a little tricky. I remember with real clarity when my kids were three, four, five, and they were feeling shy or hiding behind my leg or didn't want to do something that was very performative, let's say like, you know, show your latest dance move that was so cute when you did it for me yesterday and you don't want to show grandma and that's okay. You know, and then I would have a much easier time like, oh, looks like he doesn't feel like it. And then there's an age where you do get into kind of manners and social graces and you know, we are at this function and you do need to make eye contact and answer questions, you know, and it, and I don't, it, I mean, I'll say right now in the spirit of beyond the sessions, I don't know that I handled it particularly well and we're not done handling it. Like it was a mm-hmm. sort of eye-opening thing of like, are we in an age where now we do push more because it really does come across in a way that it may not when you're four or five if right. you just say, I don't, you know, and at one point I said to my son, I was like, what's, what's going on? He's like, I just don't feel like talking to people. And on the one hand, it's like, you go, you, you know yourself so well, you know what you need. That's so awesome. Gentle parenting for the win, you know? And then it's also like, but you gotta, we're at a freaking bar mitzvah, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. I think part of it is, you know, I'm at least still figuring it out. Yeah. And and I think to, to like, you paint a really relatable conundrum, you know, which I think is inherently what this mom who's asking this question is feeling right in a different scenario. But the same one is like, how much am I supposed to protect them from something that makes them uncomfortable? And how much am I sort of 
supposed to stretch them. And I kind of think it comes down, like to your point, it comes down to developmental capacity and appropriateness. Like, But ultimately it's skills, right? It's a skill development question, right? Like from like at a very straightforward level, it's like, how do we learn certain social skills of communicating, either agreeing to the bid, right? Like, sure, I will give you the social niceties, even though I don't want to, or appropriately asserting your boundary. Like, you know, I'm not really in the mood, but thank you so much. Um, or ver- so there's that sort of piece, but then underneath that really is an ability to kind of do something that makes us uncomfortable. Um, but I don't know if you teach that skill in the moment. Like, I don't think if, you know, at the bar mitzvah, when your son is like internally thinking to themselves, I really don't want to talk to anybody. I don't like this, you know, zero judgment. If in that moment you're like, just say hi, like, we'll talk about it later, but just say hi, (laughs) you know, like I've done that too. Like, but then also like afterwards would probably be when I would think like, how do we revisit this together? How do we debrief? How do we talk about like, well, what made, you know, just like you did, right? You got information from your son later, him telling you like, I don't, I didn't want, I don't want to talk to anybody. And it's like, we can then work with that. Like, all right, well, what is it about talking to people that feels kind of tough? And like, try to figure out what's the fear and how do we help build some confidence around coping with that and trying on a couple different strategies that feel kind of like step, a step towards a bigger accomplishment. So like, I don't know, breaking it down and like, a lot like what you and I would do in therapy with a kid who had anxiety about talking to people in public and social anxiety, right? Like, what would we do? We would break it down and work on it slowly. And practice or just give strategies for the next time, right? Okay. So we're going to this holiday party, let's say you may not want to talk to anybody because I remember that's how you felt last time when it was noisy and da, 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 da. As we talked about that can come across as rude. So let's come up with three things that you're ready to talk about and practice them or some, you know, or like questions you can like, again, it's, it's, as you said, it's like what we would do in therapy is kind of coping ahead with what the feelings might feel like and how you can, you know, problem solve in advance with certain strategies. Um, mm-hmm. I just remember being, remember, cause it was a week ago, um, <laughs> just being surprised, like, like, cause I, we, ha- it's hard to explain. It's like, it just didn't occur to me that he wouldn't know because this was not a like crippled by anxiety situation. Mm-hmm. This was like a, you know, I don't want to, I don't gotta like practicing and asking my kid of like why he did like it was it was never gonna fly he would over and over again to say I don't know I don't know I like he's just and at a certain point it's like okay we don't actually have to explore this in depth you have to say hello to grandma period um I when I speak with my clients about that with always you know it I sort of say you have to check in with yourself there are times to say like wow, he clearly isn't really in the mood to say, hi, grandma, right now. I'm not sure what that's about. Let's give him some space and check in later. There's other times you're going to be compelled to say like, dude, we've talked about this. Grandma just said, hello. What comes out of your mouth now? I can't tell people when to do what. That's about their family. 
um, I've done both. Mm -hmm. But that wouldn't be my advice with a a three-year-old or even a four-year-old or maybe even a five-year-old. Like I've worked with a lot of families where it's like, if they're not like families that get upset where their five-year-olds are not um, like saying thank you to the doormen, like New York City families, not saying hi or, you know, and, and I've talked about like, just keep modeling, like just keep, mod- like it's just going to put pressure on them if you're like, say thank you, say thank you, know, and so, but that's, di- you know, by the time you're 10, say thank you, someone held the door for you. And I don't know, I mean, the logical question that I'm hearing myself want to ask myself is like, at what age does it switch over? Like, when does it become about manners and not like, and I don't know, I think that's where it's an individual call, I guess. I don't, I mean, yeah, you know, it just hadn't occurred to me that that was something we would need to tell him in advance Mm -hmm. at this age in this setting. And so it was a little eye opening because I'm always, you know, and again, I'm always kind of flexing my own practice with clients and stuff. I tend to really not necessarily like when families are, are um, worried that their kids never going to learn manners or never going to learn to respect their elders. Like I tend to, brush that aside because I think it's, it does. I've always thought like, well, that comes. And then, and then this, it just didn't, it hadn't come yet. I mean, again, it, this is a solvable problem, but it, Mm -hmm. it didn't just fall into place the way that I perhaps expected it to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It, it turns out there needed to be an explicit, like, you know, here's, here's what's expected. And we needed to pregame that, which is the, you know, a phrase we always, you know, we needed to pregame more than I, than I anticipated. Mm-hmm. Um, we're getting a little bit away from the question, but I, I mean, I hope it's helpful just to hear that even, you know, parenting expert, child psychologist, like just last week, like was kind of puzzled by the same thing with an older kid. Yeah. And I think, I mean, we don't know the age of this kid. So the the mother was asking the question for, um, and I really do think if it's a really little kid, like, I think you you do want to say like, eh, eh, you know, kind of speak for them, like, and not in a, I'm going to step in front of them and protect them from this horrible thing, but just to like, uh, like our nonchalance also even models a little bit to everybody, including the child. Like, this is not, this is not make or break, you know, it's like maybe later, you know, and again, I think there are certain tasks that I feel very clear on it. Like I would never even, you know, with my son who's 10, if he seemed uncomfortable, not giving someone a hug. In fact, he doesn't like hugs and I will jump in and say like, Oh, he's not a hugger. You know, he's not a hugger. Like maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, I didn't think again, it became fuzzy around like answer a question. Mm -hmm. You don't get to just literally sit here silently because you don't feel like vocalizing. Right. You know, so again, it's, there's, it's just noticing what's clear to us and what's not. And that's an individual thing. Like I would have zero issue advocating for my kid in that way with a physical, you know, with a physical boundary, with a performative, like sing for me, play piano for me, dance for me. That would seem like a no brainer. But I think it was just interesting to see that my son sort of interpreted just talking perhaps in the same category. And for me, mm-hmm. I felt frustrated, like, don't you know, that's not in the same category, but <laughs> not necessarily so clear. And, and just to be aware, I, I fear for this listener, I think we may have taken her question and made it very, very complicated, but I guess, <laughs> I guess that's one of the things we do. Yes, we are. We, we are notorious for that. So apologies. <laughs> Question, but you actually have 25,000 questions. Yeah. 
And I think, cause I think one of the reasons that that happens is cause we we're answering this person's question, but we're also kind of answering all of the, all the people who are nodding to that question and they all may have different kind of experiences. So I feel like we try to speak to that, but yeah, I think you're right. Sometimes we're like, okay, but I wanted to just know about the piano (laughs) thing. Thanks. Uh, I got a lot more than I needed. So like sift through it, take what you need, leave what you don't. (laughs) But I hope it's helpful just to think about, you know, wherever angle you're coming from. And, and again, I think, the solution ultimately is still whether it's you have a 10 year old who doesn't want to say hi when it's not an anxiety thing, but just a, okay, I don't want to. And versus a three-year-old who, you know, is kind of frozen because someone is like too much attention on them and asking them to do something performative and they're anxious or like, just like, I I don't, I don't know how to, I don't know yet how to advocate for myself. At the end of the day, we're collecting data in those moments, and then we're going to use that data later to kind of teach or build skills that seem to fill in those gaps, whatever they are, you know? Mm -hmm. So that framework sort of remains true no matter what. Yeah. And again, as always, knowing yourself and your own triggers, of course, I was on edge at a family bar mitzvah, right? I mean, like that (laughs) is like, you know, parenting 101 and knowing your kid and just I just want to, you know, really hammer that that there's no one off that's going to make or break this for your kid. Like these are really good things to be thinking about as your kids develop over time. There's no one response to your child being asked on one occasion to do one of these things that's going to solidify, you know, a psychologically healthy or unhealthy childhood for your for your kid. Yeah. Well, this was great. Thank you so much for answering these questions with so much thought and we'll talk soon. Absolutely. Always such a pleasure. See you later. See you later. Thank you so much for listening. As you can hear, parenting is not one size fits all. It's nuanced and it's complicated. So I really hope that this series where we're answering your questions It really helps you to cut through some of the noise and find out what works best for you and your unique child. If you have a burning parenting question, something you're struggling to navigate, or a topic you really want us to shed light on or share research about, we want to know. Go to drsarahbrenn.com forward slash question to send in anything that you want Rebecca, Emily, and me to answer in this new series, Securely Attached Beyond the Sessions. That's drsarahbrenn.com forward slash question. And check back for a brand new Securely Attached next Tuesday. And until then, don't be a stranger. 